Welcome to Rex's Bible Minute, a weekly video where I talk about Jesus, Christianity, and anything along those lines, really. Um, we are in week four of our study of 1 John, um, and so as always, we want to make sure we put ourselves back into the train of thought before we get into this thing. Um, today we're going to be answering some really big questions. The biggest one being, how can I tell if I'm a Christian? That's the big part. So if that's a question that you've ever asked, you might want to stick around. Um, that being said, let's get into this. Uh, recap, we're, we're dealing with a letter written towards the end of the New Testament. So that means it was written towards the end of the first century by John the Apostle, more than likely. Um, like, it, There's a few letters in the New Testament that we're like, eh, maybe, we're not really sure. Uh, this one's one that's like, we're pretty sure. Like, It, it can't be definitive um, just by the nature of the thing, but... It is. It is pretty. We're pretty certain it's the same guy who wrote the Gospel of John, um, wrote Second John, Third John, and wrote the Revelation of John. Uh, he got really. We got really creative with naming these letters. Um, but so he's writing towards the end of his life. He's living in Ephesus. He's a, a bishop, an elder, or whatever. It's all the same root word. Um, but he's he's kind of like the top dog in this, this region of churches. It's not yet become a a formal. This is the region that this bishop takes takes care of kind of thing. Um, but he was basically him being the guy who was actually with Jesus and one of Jesus's inner three. He was naturally just kind of the leader of this the southwestern region of modern day Turkey. They called it Asia. But um, he's writing at the end of the first century, eighties, nineties A.D. Um, He's writing this letter as a circular to be passed around. Think of it more like a sermon. It doesn't really flow like a letter. It flows more like a sermon. Um, and so this is this is kind of like just a circular letter meant to be passed around amongst those churches in that region. Uh, and that being said, let's get into this. Um, we're going to read starting chapter 2, verse 3, and go all the way to verse 14. This is what it says. It says, This is how we are sure that we have known him, him being Jesus. If we keep his commandments, anyone who says, I know him, but doesn't keep his commandments is a liar. People like that have no truth in them. But if anyone keeps his word, God's love is truly made complete in such a person. This is how we are sure that we are in him. Anyone who says, I abide in him, ought to behave in the same way that he behaved. My beloved ones, I'm not writing a new command to you, but an old command which you have had from the very beginning. The old command is the word which you have heard. Again, however, I am writing a new command to you. It is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Anyone who says I am in the light while hating another family member is still in the darkness up to this very moment. Anyone who loves another family member abides in the light and there is no cause of offense in such a person. Anyone who hates another family member is in the darkness and walks about in the darkness. Such people have no idea where they are going because the darkness has blinded their eyes. I am writing to you, children, because your sins are forgiven through his name. I am writing to you, fathers, because you have known the one who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young people, because you have conquered the evil one. I have written to you, children, because you have known the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you have known the one who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young people, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have conquered the evil one. There's a ton in this. And just John is that's one of the things he is fantastic at is he he gets he packs so much into such small sections of his writings. And I just I want to take a second, let's just let's just talk about John's style for a second. I know this is almost tertiary to our understanding of of this part of the Bible, 
but it, it matters a little bit. It, it it matters probably more than a little bit. But but I just want to talk about the way John writes because it's it's unique compared to Paul or James or Pete. Like it's very different. Um, first off, John always weaves this this theme of love throughout everything, and it's it's love spoken in truth. And so what that means is is John's letters aren't just all happiness and everybody getting along. Like John definitely calls people out, but he does it in a way that it always points back to love. And that's just something that's that's why the Gospel of John is so frequently pointed to as as the first place to read if you're a new believer, or you're curious about Christianity, because that's the emphasis of of that gospel is, is the love of God. And that's just all of John's writing point back to love. The other thing is John emphasizes repetition, especially in this letter. Like normally rhetoric goes A to B to C, or sometimes A plus B plus C equals D. Like it, it just, it kind of flows like that. John's all about repetition. He goes A and a little bit of B. And then he goes A plus B and a little bit of C. And then he goes A plus B plus C and a little bit of D. And he just goes on and on. Like everything gets called back to what we've already covered. And there's just this, this repetition that goes all the way through. And that's why love is so heavily emphasized because it's always the building block of the way John writes. And so in this section, he starts with, with love, right? That's just the repetition. He'll start with this piece and then he'll add a little bit of this piece and then he'll do those two pieces and then he'll add a little bit of this piece. And, and so you're going to see that as we continue through this letter. So in verses 3 through 6, he poses the question, how do we know we are Christians? He doesn't say it like that. He says, uh, this is how we are sure we have known him. That's kind of old old speak for how do you understand this? How do you, how do you grasp that you are a Christian? How have you known God? To be a follower or a people of, of a God was to know that God. And so he asked that question, how do we know that we're Christians? And so we, we need to do a little bit of context here because his audience would understand this question and this thought very differently than we do. So you go back to the classical Greeks. We're talking several hundred years before this, the, the age of Plato and Aristotle and Socrates. They emphasized that era of Greek thinking emphasized intellectual knowledge. Why am I bringing that up? Because those Greeks and the Greeks that followed that were present during John's day they pretty much founded the way we think in the Western world. Our philosophy, our, our, the, the way that people think, it is very much directly linked to the way those classical Greeks and then the later Greeks thought and felt. And so those classical Greeks, they were all about intellectual knowledge. So to say that you would know God in that age, you would say you know about God. You know all the things about him. You know his story. You know all these facts and figures, and you'd be able to tell somebody a full thesis on God. It was all intellectual. The later Greeks, the ones of John's day, they, they emphasized in their religious practices emotionalism and, and experience. So they would design things so that by the end of that religious experience— you would be able to experience that God and you would place yourself in the sufferings of that God or the victories of that God. And so at the end of it, you would say, I am that God and that God is in me. And it would be all experiential and emotional. That is how you knew God. But John says no to both of those ideas. You have to know about God. That's true. You got to get the facts straight. 
Uh, we see that all over the book of Acts where people would come in like um, Apollo. He would come in and say, hey, here's God. And he was, he was on fire for God and he got a lot of things wrong. And they're like, hey, hold on. These few things, let's correct that and then go for it. You like that, you know, ignorance on fire as a, a famous lo- a famous preacher said recently. Like, you know, it just you, you got to get the facts right. There's nothing wrong with that. You absolutely, it's essential, but it's not the whole thing. And you have to have an emotional connection with, with God. Like you can't just be head knowledge and there be no heart to it. You know, there's, there's a, a cliche that you really become a Christian when it moves from your head to your heart. That's true as well. Like there has to be an emotional, experiential aspect to it. Well, it can't just be head knowledge, but it doesn't stop there either. Because you can, you know, be in love with God and, and have experienced or had a religious experience with God. And you can know all about God. But it has to show up in the way you live your life. That's what John's point is. That you, you, you know God. You believe in God. You believe in Jesus. You believe, you experience Jesus. You connect with Jesus. But you have to obey Jesus. You have to obey the things that he taught. And John's going to talk about that more in chapter 3. But, but the point is that here, we have to believe and obey. We have to do the things he taught us to do. We have to live our lives treating others the way he treated them. Doing the things he told us to do. It's not telling us that we have to do the things he did because we can't. You know, a lot of what Jesus did was simply uh, based around his vocation on the cross and his, his status as, you know, the divine son of God. Like, we can't do those things. But we can bring truth into the, uh, the world around us. We can bring healing into the world around us. We can bring peace to the world around us. And so that's, that's, that's what John's saying is, how do you know you're a Christian? Well, you know about God, and you should always be growing in your knowledge of God. You, you have an emotional and experiential connection with God. You should always, that's always a good thing, experience Him in worship and in, in other ways. But you have to obey Him. You have to do the things He told you to do. And that gets us to verses 7 through 8. And in 7 through 8, we, He starts talking about commands, you know, he says this is an old commandment, and then he in the next verse, verse eight, he, he talks about a new commandment. And so, so what what even does that mean? Well, and it's the simple question: What is a commandment? It is a directive. It is telling you either to do something or to not do something. Uh, and so, it, when we talk about commandments in the Bible, we're talking about a couple different things. But mostly, we're talking about the law. And the things Jesus told us to do. So this is very key to knowing if you are a Christian. We got to know the things Jesus told us to do. Those commands, um, but a lot of times they're also dealing with old ones. So what is the old command and what is the new command? The old command is Moses, is the law, the the, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. That is the law. And why would he say that the this is this old command? What what does that mean for us? Well, what is the old command? The old command being the law. Think of it like a road sign. Right, you're driving along and you see a road sign for uh, you know some city you've never been to before, and it says, "City of uh, Whoville, population 3,000." What do you know from that road sign? You know there's a city called Whoville somewhere up ahead, and it has 3,000 people in it, or maybe 3,000 who's. Who knows? But you know that 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 there's a city, but you don't know exactly what that city looks like from that road sign. But you know it's up ahead. You know it's coming. You know something about it. Right, or say it's a sign for an attraction, like you know, a sign for the Grand Canyon. It might even have like a picture on it. You know, I remember driving past the road sign for the arches in Utah. It had pictures of the arches on it. 
but it doesn't fully encapsulate the arches. Like if you've ever been to Arches National Park, like it's phenomenal. No picture does it. If you've been to the Grand Canyon, no picture or video does it justice. Like a road sign points to something that's coming up the road, but it, you don't really know what it is until you get there. That's what the law does. And that's what John is saying. He's saying is the law was the road sign for Jesus, for this new life that's coming. And that new life was revealed in Jesus. So the old command is the same as the new command, essentially is what he's saying. He's saying the law was the road sign for what a genuine, lovely, fruitful human life looks like, as N.T. Wright puts it. And when you get to where the law is pointing to, you find Jesus. And so Jesus summarizes the law with one word, love. He says that all the law, all the prophets are summarized in this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love. That is all of the law summarized. That's the old law. That is the law, which the command which you have heard, as John calls it. And he says, I'm also writing you a new one. And it's a direct reference to John 13, 34, where Jesus says, I'm giving you a new commandment. And it's this, love one another just as I have loved you, so you must love one another. So the old law and the new law are the same, right? The old command and the new command are the same. The, the new life that is God's new age is revealed as the love of God's new age. As, again, as N.T. Wright puts it, you know, the love, it was revealed in the person of Jesus back then, 2,000 years ago, and it has continually been revealed in the persons of his follower ever since. So those of us who follow Jesus, we are supposed to be revealing that same love to the world around us. And the rest of this letter is going to be spent explaining what that looks like, basically. And so that gets us to verse 9 and 11, where John, he kind of starts explaining, this is what it looks like. And here he gets very black and white. And this is, again, one of those rare sections that the Bible doesn't really give you room to wiggle, right? Normally the Bible, there's so many layers of context and historical context and, and all these things going on to it that you can't really be super duper square and rigid with what it says. But this is one of those sections where you, you can't, you can't wiggle with it, right? You can't, you can't, you can't toy with it. There's no gray area. If you if you do that, you're really making it say something it doesn't say. And so what John starts off by saying is the core tenant of Christianity, the old command and the new command, the core thing in being a Christ follower, the core thing Jesus told us to obey is to love your neighbor. Love God and love your neighbor. And so what does he mean? Well, in verse 10, he specifically uses the word agape. And that, that word is preached to death, but it's very important for us because it's, it's not like the other kinds of love. It's not like erotic love, romantic love, um, you know, brotherly love, family. Like agape love is love that you're choosing. It's not a feeling at all. It's you're choosing to love somebody. The other loves, you know, affection and all those kind of things, they go into it. But agape love is simply you're choosing to love somebody no matter what. They, they don't have to deserve it at all. Uh, because that's the love Jesus shows us. Like, we definitely don't deserve it, but he loves us that much anyways, right? And so you love somebody without proper reason for doing so. You're just choosing it, right? So loving people, and then, well, who's our neighbor? Well, it's it's everyone. I mean, just to be blunt, it is everyone on the planet, but you can't stop there. You can't say, I love everyone. You have to put skin on it. 
that you, like the people you interact with, whether you interact with them every day, like your coworkers or your boss or your family, or it's people that you meet once, you know, you, you, you run into somebody in the grocery store at the gas station, you know, or you see somebody when you're on vacation, like everybody, but you have to put skin on it. You have to, as you meet people, as you interact with people, it has to be consciously saying agape then choose to love them. You have to put skin on it. And so John, he says, that's the core tenet of Christianity. Now, what happens when you break it and call yourself a Christian? Well, this is where it's starting to get real. Like, this is something that we all need to pay attention to. He says, if you hate your neighbor, you don't walk in the light. You don't, you're not in the light anymore. Well, what does it mean to hate somebody? Well, it's not the same as being annoyed by somebody, right? It's not the same as just disliking somebody. You're allowed to not like somebody. You're allowed to, to be annoyed by somebody because God made us to have personalities. God made us to have likes and dislikes. You're not going to get along with everybody, okay? As a Christian, it's okay to say that. It's okay to say you and I come from very different perspectives and we are oil and water. We don't gel, right? We don't get along. It's okay to say that, but you have to say it in love. There has to be love beneath it. Like it's okay. Hating somebody is not the same as disliking somebody or being annoyed by somebody. Hating somebody means you treat them with disrespect. Like even if they deserve it, you still you don't treat somebody with disrespect. It, it doesn't mean you show them contempt. That's the line. Is you can't you can't hate somebody. You can't be evil to somebody, even if they deserve it. I know it's that's a tough one for us to grasp. And this we could get into all kinds of tangents about what that means for self defense, what that means for protecting your family or your friend. Like we're not going to go there yet. We're just going to stay in this realm of uh, treating somebody with disrespect and contempt. Whether they deserve or not, you can't do that. It's the opposite of agape, is treating somebody with disrespect and contempt. Um, and so, like I said, I'm going to stop there because we could go into a real big tangent. And maybe if you come on Wednesday night, uh, or we'll have this discussion for those of you who are there in person. Um, but John doesn't really get into it any further than that, so I'm not going to get into it any further than that here. Um, but it also, when we hate somebody, it affects them, right? You're reflecting a bad image of Jesus to them. We're supposed to be revealing the love of God to the world around us, bringing truth, bringing peace, being... But if we are showing people contempt and disrespect, we're not revealing that love at all. And when we do that, we're in the darkness. It doesn't just affect those people and their opinion of Jesus. It affects us too. And this is where it gets scary because John says it blinds us and we walk in the dark now if you remember from two weeks ago or no not two weeks ago last week right we read about light and dark now see this is why it's important that we always place ourselves in the train of thought when we are reading and studying the bible like this because we can do a little section at a time and take 10 weeks to go through four chapters but you might have but you would have read them all in one sitting and so what John talks about here with light and darkness, if you were reading through this chapter and or this this letter in one go, you would have just read what I'm about to read to you. And so it would be instant like, oh, that's what that means. Okay, so let's let's make sure we're in that train of thought. And one chapter one, verse five, it says, God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in the dark, we are telling lies and not doing what is true. But if we walk in the light, just as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, makes us pure and clean from all sin. So, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we hate our neighbors, we are walking in darkness. 
What's that mean? I mean, can you think of a way to wiggle that out of saying you're not a Christian? I can't. <laughs> you show hate and disrespect and contempt for anybody? You're walking in darkness. That's exactly what John is saying. And if you're in darkness, you're not in the light. And God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. As a Christian, the core tenet of what you believe is loving your neighbor no matter what. You can't hate your neighbor. You can't disrespect your neighbor. You can't show contempt for your neighbor, even if they deserve it, even if they show it to you, and still think you're walking in the light. And that's hard. That's dangerous. And I'm not saying that God is a God of very strict saying like, oh, sorry, I heard you do that. I, you said a cuss word to your neighbor the other day. I, I watched you cut that person in traffic off and you did it on purpose. Like, I don't think God works like that because we don't see that in Jesus. But what we're saying is if you aren't treating people with love and respect, regardless of whether it is or not, you're walking a very dangerous place as far as your status as a Christian goes. So we're all going to mess up on this, and there's grace for everything, right? So I'm going to underpin it with all of that, that there's grace for everything. But when it comes to this part of our lives and the way we treat people, we have to be aiming for that bullseye of treating everybody with agape love. That's the, that's the bullseye. Remember when we've talked about sin, that we have to aim for God's standards in every aspect of our life. That's, the, that's what we're aiming for. You're going to fail. It's okay. We're covered by grace, but you have to be genuinely aiming for that standard, that bullseye. Otherwise, you're walking in darkness, and that's a scary place to be. And that gets us to the last um, four or two verses. Uh, and this is kind of a song, right? John writes us a song to remember. It, it doesn't quite feel like a song or a poem, but there's there's poetic. It's poet. It's poetry. I'm gonna call it a poem. So some commentators disagree with it. I think it's a poem. Because it flows like a poem. Um, there's repetition and there's there's callbacks and so, anyways. Um, so it's just this last two verses. Uh, it, it, he writes a poem about children, young people, and fathers. And he, why would he do that? He's talking about the spiritual levels of a Christian. When you're a new believer, you are a child in the faith. Paul says the same thing. Then you become a young person. You mature a little bit in your faith. And then you become a father or a mother. It's He's just being poetic here. It's not discriminating against mothers or whatever. He's, when you get to the, the elderly level, that means you are mature in your faith. And so he's spiritually talking about each of those levels. And each stage builds on the last. A lot of people get to the young, to the to the child phase and they never get beyond it. They stay as a child. We're supposed to be progressing is, is part of what he's talking about here. But every single one of these lines, he, he says, you know, child, remember this. Young people, remember this. Fathers, remember this. There's two things that he calls back to every level, no matter what age you are. Remember what you are and remember what has been done for you. Remember that you are a child of God and that Christ paid the ultimate sacrifice to call you family, to create family. We have to remember that. We have to remember what we are, and we have to remember what has been done for us. Because when you do that every single day, well, guess what? It's really hard to look at anybody with contempt and hatred because you remember, hey, I was once them. 
Hopefully this week has been helpful. Hopefully this lesson helps you grow and remember to, to love people. And hopefully it encourages you to continue in your faith. Continue to progress. If you have any questions, as always, reach out to me. Otherwise, I'll see you next week.